Almost 4,000 vulnerable residents died in long-term care during the pandemic. Outbreaks are still occurring. This pandemic is not over. And the government of Ontario introduced legislation yesterday that will double fines and order takeovers at nursing homes that break new rules. The bill is called Fixing Long-Term Care Act. And Natalie Mara is executive director of the Ontario Health Coalition. She joins the show to talk about it. Welcome to the program, Natalie. Hi, thanks for having me. So the bill is called the Fixing Long-Term Care Act, does it, in your opinion? No, no. I, you know, it's basically the old act. It's just amended, and there's not very many amendments. There are just a few. One is particularly bad in that in the old act, like in the current act, I should say, um, they have to favor um, promoting public and not-for-profit long-term care homes as opposed to for-profit. They've changed that to allow the government to promote for-profit long-term care homes, so that's not good. Um, Why the, is that the, not good? Let's stop and break this down for the audience. Yeah. Why is that not good? Why does that concern you? And what exactly does it mean when you say promote? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's in the preamble. It means that the whole act has to be interpreted following that. And um so the existing clause, which requires the government to promote public and nonprofit long-term care homes, it means that, for example, as this government is giving out thousands of beds, like licenses to cover the next 30 years of long-term care beds in the province, to for-profit companies, we could, for instance, take them to court and say that the minister is not following their own act. With that change... Um, you know, it limits the ability to do something like that because they have now allowed themselves to um, to promote for-profit long-term care. The reason it matters, well, I think it was really laid bare in the pandemic. Um, you know, the for-profits had a much, much higher death rate than the public and the not-for-profit homes. Um, and uh, And that has been borne out through all of the waves of the pandemic. Um, and but even before the staffing is worse, that they pay the staff less. Um, you know, there's more um, part time and precarious staff in the for profits. Um, that's the main difference, and the hours of care are less. And so, across a whole range of outcomes for residents, they perform more poorly. And um, for us, which is crazy we- because normally you get what you pay for. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, all the homes are basically paid the same. They're subsidized, right? So residents pay their fees for their bed, for their room and board, essentially. And then um, the government subsidizes through public funds for the nursing care and the personal care and all of the kind of medical care and support that the residents get. They're all paid the same, but they use their money differently. Mm -hmm. And there really are differences that um, that's not to say that every for-profit long-term care home is terrible. That's not the case. Listen, I have a friend who's just gone into a, her mother's in a long-term care home. She calls it the cruise ship. She loves it. (laughs) I'm I'm playing cards every day. I got my, I'm doing like activities. I'm, I'm, I'm meeting new friends. She really does love it. Yeah. Yeah. And there are retirement homes and people get them mixed up. Right. And they're a completely different thing. Most of them are for profit as well, and people pay their own way, right? Mm-hmm. And they're quite expensive. But long-term care homes are the ones for people of medical need. You know, they, okay. they, they have assessed medical needs, and they're subsidized by taxpayers. And, of course, 
you know, across looking across the whole sector, you can see there are significant differences. And the other thing is that we have fought for 25 years for the public interest in long-term care. And that means there have to be surprise inspections. They can't be forewarned about them. They need to interview residents in the inspections and have open-ended questions like, do you feel safe in this home? Like as the current inspections are, we fought for that for years. The the for-profit lobby group pushes against that. They don't like surprise inspections of all of the homes and they succeed in getting them stopped. And then we no, have no, to nobody to wants nobody in. wants to risk somebody popping in and seeing their house a mess. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so that's, you know, that those kinds of things. They lobby against enforcement. You know, they lobby against the requirement that there be right. one RN per home, you know, at all times, staffing requirements, you know, all of those sorts of things. And so it's very hard to overcome the lobby of the for profits, which is, you know, they're they're very they're rich. They're powerful. They have a lot of political connections. Okay, I don't want to waste too much time on the, on the first question because there's a lot to get to, and we don't have a lot of time in this uh, in this segment. But um, there is a change in the um, fixing the long term care act that we have to touch on. Nursing homes breaking the rules would see maximum fines doubled. The the new uh, nursing home act also doubles maximum fines to two hundred thousand dollars for individuals, five hundred thousand for corporations on a first offense. And uh, second offenses go up to 400000 to a million. Members of boards running for private um, nursing homes could be on the hook with a maximum fines of 200000 and 400000 on the first and second offenses, lower maximum fines of 400000 for nonprofit homes. I don't get the discrepancy. Can you uh, maybe talk about that? Oh, like why the difference between the for-profits and non-profits? Because yeah, I mean, shouldn't there be the threat money? of... Okay, but shouldn't there be the threat of, look, um, we're going to fine everybody heavily if they break rules so that across the board, we've got people behaving? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, there are fines already in the act, up to $100,000 per home. The fact is that not one home has ever been fined. Never. And not even the worst. Not wow, even the ones really? where hundreds of people died, where people died of dehydration and starvation in the pandemic, where people were left without showers for you know weeks or months at a time. I'm not kidding. And no we're not just talking about fined. during the pandemic. You're talking about in the history of yeah, long-term care homes. The power to find them, hundred thousand dollars per home, was brought were was brought in in 2018, um, December of 2017. And it has never been used. Hmm. That's, and that before, is shocking. even before that, they had the power to levy provincial offenses against the homes. They've never done that. There's a so there's you're a you're not home. holding your breath that they're going to start. No, like I mean, that part of the act that you're talking about is the biggest change, and that's yep. it's good. It all sounds really good, but the fact is, they've had the power to levy fines to suspend licenses. To suspend admissions, which hits them in the pocketbook because they get paid for the full beds, to revoke licenses, that has not happened to a single home. So you'd like to see them put their money where their mouth is here in this situation getting and really get to uh, charging the worst offenders. The worst performers could face temporary takeovers. Can you uh, explain that to us? Because I, I look at it as a, an average person that doesn't know much about long-term care. I mean, I talk about the, talk to it about the, you know, about the, the topic with experts like yourself, but uh, it seems to me it's sort of like a, wait, we'll help you run it. What does that teach them when there's a takeover? Yeah, so a management takeover, so they already have the power to do management takeovers. 
this is just a different method of doing them. And, you know, it's, it's in our view, six of one, half a dozen of the other. So in the pandemic, people may remember that as the homes exploded, you know, and, and, and COVID ran rampant through the homes and people were not separated, the sick from the, from the healthy and people weren't being fed. And so on the stories were leaking out, um, they sent in the hospital rapid response teams and hospital managements took over the long-term care homes to get the outbreaks under control and to get people safe. So they've always had the power to send in a management team to take over the long-term care homes. This is just, they've replaced that with a supervisor that the minister can appoint that can take over the homes. No difference. Um, it's a good thing. So if a home's in crisis or say they're stealing residents' money or there's fraud, or, and you know, this has happened where the operators took off with all the money to Florida, you know, um, then, you know, the minute they have a method by which to take over the management of the home. But I mean, they've always had that. It's no change, really. Should we be looking towards and, uh, you know, I'm going to move the conversation uh, to this uh, with open lines in a second. But, you know, long term care legislation is good. We've got a serious backup and I don't like a backlog of her waiting list here. I don't know how you clear that up. Because when you're dealing with the fact that we have a lack of facilities, an actual lack of facilities, uh, I wonder if we should be looking towards um, focusing on supports in addition to the long-term care legislation, supports to allow people to age in place at home. What do you think about that? Totally. I mean, it's a continuum, right? By People on the wait list for long-term care, they have to be assessed as needing long-term care. That means they have to have pretty significant need. Often their families have suffered a lot. You know, it'll be a spouse and the person might be violent or have mm-hmm. behaviors or wander. They are unsafe at home. The family may, you know, often is working full time as well and trying to take care of an often difficult to take care of person or someone who needs total care. Like people are really, you know, in need by the time right. they get into long-term care. So it's a continuum. There's maybe a few, few thousand that could be moved out and taken care of in home care, but there's not like a thousand. And the people on the wait list, you know, they're it's suffering, waiting to get in. We need to build those new beds. There's no question. We need them. We need a lot of them. The population's aging. And we have the second fewest number of beds per population in the country. So we are behind. Yeah. Yeah, we are very behind. Natalie, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, have yourself a fantastic afternoon, and I appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a really important story, so thank you so much for telling it. Absolutely. Thank you. Natalie uh, Mera is Executive Director of the Ontario Health Coalition.